If all babies are wrapped in swaddling clothes, it's not going to be a sign. So I think the sign is he's wrapped in rags, and it's certainly a sign that he's lying in a manger, a feeding trough, because that's not where you put babies. And the first people that come and worship him are marginal people, shepherds. The voice of Michael Card opening today's first person program. Welcome and Merry Christmas. I'm Wayne Shepherd. In a few moments, we'll talk with Michael about some parts of the Christmas story we don't often think about, so please stay with us. First, I invite you to stop by our website not only for information about today's guests, but also for a look at upcoming programs and an archive of past broadcasts you can explore. We're found at firstpersoninterview.com. And as always, thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for their support, which makes these programs possible. Our conversation now with Michael Card is really the first in a series which we will air throughout the coming year. In addition to his singing and songwriting, Michael is a great Bible teacher, and we plan to focus on each of the four Gospels in upcoming programs. But here at Christmas, we've decided to focus on some lesser-known aspects of the Christmas story. Michael and I met to talk in his recording studio in Franklin, Tennessee. Well, Mike, Merry Christmas. Do you put the put the phone down? You're, you're, <laughs> That's you're going on Facebook photo. right now. You're taking a photo even as we try to do this interview. So put that phone down. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Here's my idea for the coming year. We're already looking into 2017. Mm-hmm. So here's my idea. How about if we get together once in a while on the radio here on First Person and uh, we have these visits around the scripture? Absolutely. Anytime. Um, I would love to talk to you throughout 2017 about the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've written books on each of oh, them. That's my favorite subject, absolutely. So let's let's plan to do that, and we'll make okay. that commitment right now. Okay. That the <laughs> oh oh, you just got me record. You recorded yeah, me saying right. I do. I it. know how to do it. Ironclad, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that way, we'll keep the old broadcast, which we called in the studio, alive. Mm-hmm. At mm-hmm. least the the Bible commentary part. Yeah. Uh, here cool. on first person, so I'd well, be happy to. Thanks for acquiescing. To that. <laughs> <laughs> But it is Christmas, yes, and something is really on your heart right now that I thought would be fascinating to talk about here. Yeah, I, I'm becoming uh, preoccupied with this idea of of, of nurturing uh, a, a concern for the the details of the life of Jesus. There are all sorts of um, details that we read right past that I think have really big implications in terms of us understanding his heart and him as a person. I mean, his brothers, you know, his, he has sisters. We don't know how many, but we see them interact. We see him interact with his mother. Um, and I don't want to, you know, isogeet. I don't want to put read things into those stories. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think there's a lot about the life of Jesus that's, and this isn't rocket science. It's not that hard. So, yeah, that's what I'm interested in right now. You say that we're missing a lot. There's, there's a lot of detail there that we really just kind of slide over when we read the Christmas story or any part of Scripture. Well, I think especially the Christmas story, which most of us can, you know, if you if you quote a verse, we can tell you what the next verse is going to say. I mean, we're very yeah. familiar with yeah. that story. and But at the same time, if you stop uh, and, and really read it as if you've never read it before— uh, I think that's one reason for having fresh translations that you you know you don't know what the next word is going to be necessarily. Um, but yeah, I think if you just look at the stories uh, in a fresh way, um, you know, a lot of those presuppositions. Okay, basic presupposition. Okay, how many na- nativity narratives are there? You think Matthew and Luke? Okay, absolutely false. <laughs> so you know, Luke is really okay, so I'm I'm already zero for one. Well, no, I mean, think <laughs> of it. You you already know this. 
Uh, Luke is really the only story of Jesus being born. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, when we when we see him in Matthew, he's he's already a toddler. He's the word uses for a little boy, mm-hmm. and they're living in a house. The 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 wise men visit a toddler in the house. So I you know I'd like to say the only real nativity narrative is Luke. That's one of the uniquenesses of Luke, and that's where we see you know the angels and the shepherds and everyone celebrating the birth of this little baby. Uh, but it, it's things like that, and I think there there are implications to that. Um, uh, and Herod, you know, who is part of that scene uh, uh, in uh, the, with the slaughters of the uh, slaughter of the innocents. Matthew's interested in all the different times people tried to kill Jesus. Um, the fact that during during his early life, Herod dies, and um, and the the province of of Judea. Um, which was a separate kingdom sort of underneath the Romans, but we had a king. Well, it becomes a Roman province with with the census of Quirinius. So we all know, yeah, there's a census of Quirinius, and Joseph and Mary, they have to go to be counted. All those hard-to-pronounce names in the story. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah. But but I, I say, okay, stop. What does, that, what does that mean? Well, it means that right at his birth and his young, very young childhood, there's this huge turnover. I mean, uh, I, I, one of my favorite scholars is a guy named Isaiah Gaffney, who's a Jewish scholar, and he talks about the fact that you're a Jewish person living in Judea, and uh, and or in Galilee, where Jesus is is uh, you know grows up, and you know you've always sort of had this lukewarm relationship with Rome. Well, now you're becoming a Roman province, and tax tax men are showing up and counting your animals and measuring your property. That's what the census of Quirinius was all about. So there's upheaval that we sort of gloss over and don't even think about. Yeah, tremendous upheaval. I mean, even, you know, Luke will say in the days of Caesar Augustus, well, you know, what does that mean? And and traditionally, I would say, well, that means we're going from a you know, republic to an empire. But, but Gaffney, again, makes this point. For the first time, we have an emperor who, upon their death, is deified. Hmm. And a couple of the emperors wanted to be deified even before they died. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and that's that's this context. In fact, when, when Augustus is born, we have an inscription called a Prini inscription. His birth is described as euangelion, good news, gospel, the gospel of the birth of Augustus. <laughs> yeah, so, that, so I'm saying there, we're reading past these details and and again, some people say, "Oh, that's too academic. I'm not interested in that." This is not rocket science, right? It's not that complicated. So anyway, that's, so what set you on this path? Well, I think I, I did the four books on the Gospels, and I was and I would uncover little things like this as time went on, and I realized that uh, you know I think I had a pretty good idea of the sweep of Jesus' ministry. Um, for me, I think it's very important to understand that there's definitely a, a flow to his ministry. Is initially he's very popular. I mean, have a boat ready so the people don't push me into the lake, right? He says. But um, I think fairly early in that, you know, maybe a year or so into that ministry, he starts saying and doing things, and you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood and things like that. They want to make him a king by force at one point, and he doesn't want any part of it. I think that popularity erodes. I think you can see that in the Gospels. Um, and and I would see things like that, and I would think, no, this is not complicated. I didn't read this in some complicated theological journal. I'm just listening to the text, and it really is obvious. Uh, for example, in, in Matthew 17, when he and, and Peter come back to Capernaum, there's no crowd waiting for them. 
as there usually, you know, always is, mm-hmm. just a couple of tax collectors that are waiting for him. And that's the coin in the fish's mouth story. But um, yeah, so I, I, I think it, it, it came as a result of looking hard for six or seven years at the Gospels and then realizing, boy, there's all kinds of really interesting details that that say so much about who he is. And that's what I want to, I want to be an expert on the life of Jesus. Yeah, not just to know things. But to really know Jesus, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the end game. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, we're not. We're not collecting, you know, facts and chill bumps and things like that. What we're doing is getting the most accurate picture that we can of this person that we've given our lives to. I mean, um, I, I really think I, we talked about this before, but I really think American Christianity is really Pauline Christianity. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul, you know, he's oh, it's part of God's word, <laughs> but it, it just interests interests me how. Maybe I'm just an old Jesus freak. Maybe this that's where this comes from. But it just interests me how little most of us really understand about the life of Jesus. Well, what better time than right now yeah. when we celebrate yes. his birth to think about some of these details. So take us a little deeper into this. Well, you know, we, we you know, we have the we have the birth. Um, um, um we, we we know that Joseph and Mary had to relocate for for the sense for the for the purpose of the census and you will hear a lot of more liberal scholars say well that could have never happened that's not how roman census took place and blah 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 it's the wrong year uh that kind of thing uh and and the truth is wayne i've learned that we know so much less about this period than most people think we're, we're not really sure if this is the same census that Quirinius census that Josephus mentions, or this is an earlier one, those kinds of things, we, we just don't know for certain. But I have, as, a, as an object of faith, I've decided I'm going to trust the Bible, trust <laughs> what the Bible says. Because every time they learn something new, they find out, oh, well, the Bible was right after all, gee. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so we have this uh, relocation. Um, they, they go to Bethlehem, which is where the prophecy said, you know, he would be born. And Bethlehem, we know, was uh, a almost in the shadow of one of Herod's palaces, uh, the Herodian, which is like this volcano. I think we, we saw that, I think, didn't we, when we were, in, when we were I've, together? I've never been to Israel Okay, with I thought we were yeah. in Israel together. No. But it's basically this volcano. You can stand on the Mount of Olives and see it on a clear day. Uh, so almost in the shadow of one of his palaces, this little obscure, you know, baby is born and um, in poverty— He's wrapped in rags. That's one of those details. We've, we've adopted the King James uh, swaddling clothes. and, and uh, the, the, Nice term for rags. Well, well the, literally, the, the Greek is pieces of cloth. He, he's wrapped in pieces of cloth. And in, in, uh, in the 17th century, those were thought of as swaddling clothes because that's what all babies were wrapped up in. But if you look, Matt, uh, or Luke says, it's a sign. If all babies are wrapped in swaddling clothes, it's not, not going to be a sign. So mm-hmm. I think the sign is he's wrapped in rags, and it's certainly a sign that he's lying in a manger, a feeding trough, because that's not where you put babies. So, um, and the first people that come and worship him are are marginal people, shepherds. Yeah. And uh, which so, I've always taken exception to, but I'll, I'll give uh, you the point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, in so many ways, though, you bear that out, and you know, and you're, <laughs> I'd be proud of that. But uh, yeah, so there, I mean, there are just a few details that that we, you know we we've kind of overlooked, and then then the Matthew account doesn't pick up until you know a year, maybe two, a year and a half later. Mm-hmm. 
They're living in a house. I think they're back in Galilee, personally. A lot of people disagree. People much smarter than me disagree with me. Looking at Christmas through the eyes of Bible teacher Michael Card. We'll continue in a moment on First Person. This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC partners with First Person to bring these interviews to you each week because we never tire of hearing how God moves on the hearts of people to accomplish His purpose. Whether in the hard-to-reach places of the world or right here at home, we serve a living God who leads men and women to do great things for Him. Learn more about FEBC at firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the FEBC banner. My guest at Christmas time is my friend Michael Card. As uh, I've traveled to Franklin, Tennessee, to sit here in the Molen Studio with Michael, and uh, it's it's wonderful to see you again, Mike. Thank you. And, uh, I would look forward to spending some time with you. I uh, I know that you're heavily involved in something called the Biblical Imagination Conferences. Now, mm-hmm. just say a word about that. I think this is fascinating. Yeah. Well, um, I I have always felt that my call was was Bible teaching, and I've used music traditionally to do that, and um, over the years. Some churches will say, you know, we well, you, you you played Saturday night concert. We we'd stay over and like teach Sunday school, or you know, on Sunday morning. So I did. I would do that, and and I think some of them said, hmm, this is was really better than the concert was. I mean, no offense. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're doing now, we call it the BI conferences, Biblical Imagination, and it's all about um, uh, how do you really engage with the Bible, which is something That's our what we're doing late today. friend, yeah. well, our, and our late friend Bill Lane. We talked about that with Bill in this room, you mm-hmm. know, taking the facts and stopping and saying, okay, yeah, Luke's a doctor, but what does that mean? Yeah. You know, uh, okay, Jesus had brothers, but what does that mean? You know, what are the implications of that? And uh, and the really fun thing for me, Wayne, is we'll have 50 to 60 people. We try to keep it small. Um and we start doing this together because I think there's something special about a community of people coming together around the word, making friendships around the word, and people see things that I n- never, never saw. Can I tell you one story? Yes, okay, so I'm I forget where I was. I was up in Pennsylvania, someplace, a little Mennonite uh, congregation, and I'm going on about Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus walks all the way up to Caesarea Philippi, which is a, one of the mysteries to me of his life still that that he went up there. But uh, I'm talking about all these pagan temples. There's the Temple of Pan and the Temple of Dancing Goats and that sort of thing. And this sweet Mennonite guy, Adam, he's a good friend of mine now. Uh, Adam holds up his hand. He goes, uh, he goes, wait a minute. You're telling me that Jesus went to a pagan city? I go, yep. And it was full of pagan temples? I said, yep. And he said, and the only temple he ever tore up was his own? Mm-hmm. We all just Think about kinda, that. Oh, yeah. it was brilliant. It was brilliant. I never thought of that. And so that's the kind of thing that happens over and over again. When you when you get people with different experiences and, you know, sort of different backgrounds and they start seeing things. Uh, one one other quick story. We I had a group together up in Arkansas and we were trying together to develop a, a chronology of the uh, a post-resurrection chronology, which is amazingly complicated. You know, he tell meet he tells the disciples, meet me back in Galilee. They go to Galilee. They come back to Jerusalem. You know, Mount of Olives, blah blah blah. This is you know very complicated. Charcoal anyway, fire on the beach. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and so in the midst of all that, 
there's a couple of people there who work uh, as uh, uh, chaplains, as uh, uh, hospice chaplains. And uh, this one guy starts talking about grief and the, and the I'm, I'm, you know, blathering about how could they not believe? You know, Matthew says they're standing there as Jesus ascends and some, you know, and some didn't believe and that sort of thing. And, and John says uh, at 21, and, and no one dared ask, who are you? Those kinds of things, which always bothered me. And, uh, and this guy says, he goes, I'm amazed anybody recognized him. He goes, because he goes, and so he starts describing, just think of what these guys have just gone through. They not not only ha, ha, have a, f- a few days before their lives been totally ruined, you know they've they've left everything to follow this guy and he gets killed and you know they uh, that sort of thing and then the the resurrection happens and they don't know you know he told them he was going to be raised from the dead but no, nobody seems to have heard what he said and uh, they are grief stricken and it was brilliant I mean it was so so brilliant I'd never thought of that stuff. And so those kinds of those are the kind of things that happen. So it's yeah. a good good thing. Fascinating. Okay, let's go back to Christmas. Okay, um, we're talking about the details that we gloss over mm-hmm. of of what we know from the Christmas story. Let's talk about Jesus' family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting. So interesting. He has a lot of family members that are part of his story. Mark tells us he's got four brothers. Uh, obviously, they're half brothers. Yeah, you know. But there, I don't even think about. Them. I mean, I think about James, but he's the only one I've ever sure thought much about. Yeah, but what we, we know he's got a brother named James. We got he has a brother named Judas or Jude. Ironically, yeah, ironically, he has a he has a brother named Joseph, who's named after his father Joseph, which is pretty cool. He has a brother named Simon, and and he has some sisters. He has at least two because their uh, sisters are are described and. Um, so that's an interesting fact, but what you what do you do with that? What you do with that is you realize that Jesus grows up. He he's in a family dynamic, and the the one little window we have in John, uh, I think it's John six, to see Jesus interacting with his brothers. They're mocking him. They don't believe. They don't believe in him as good brothers will do. Yeah, right? <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that's pretty there, realistic. There's this it? family dynamic. Yeah. You know, we have Mary. We have that little window with the the a wedding at Cana. Where Jesus and Mary have this wonderful kind of intuitive relationship, um, you know, they're out of wine. She says, right? She doesn't tell him what he needs to do. She just states the problem, which is what my wife and maybe your wife does that too. You know, the the grass is getting really long. She doesn't say you need to mow the grass. So Mary says they're out of wine, and Jesus gives her an answer that sounds like no, but. Obviously, Mary knows it doesn't mean no, because the next thing she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do, because know, she knows he's going to do something. So there's this complex, you know, wonderful relationship he has with his, with his mother. But we, you know, John the Baptist, that is, he's his cousin. Mm-hmm. They're cousins. I mean, come on. And there's a very good chance that uh, John, uh, who wrote the Gospel of John, is is also a relative of Jesus. His His mother is named Salome, and there's a good chance that she was Mary's sister. The beloved disciple. Yeah, and so there's a detail. Jesus entrusts his mother to John from the cross. Well, that makes perfect sense. If he's his cousin, first Mm -hmm. cousin, that makes perfect sense. There's other family members aren't there. It really enriches the picture, doesn't it? Well, it does for me. I don't know know about other people, but uh, realizing that he has to deal with a family dynamic and, and... there are probably, as the eldest son, there are expectations that are put upon him that maybe the others don't. But clearly, yeah. the other brothers seem to have kind of a chip on their shoulder. And later, they think he's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's Mark 3. They, they, they've they come to take him away because they think he's out of his mind because he's not eating anymore. He's so busy. 
that he's not eating. And uh, and yeah, so put that into into your into your image, you know, of of this fully human, fully divine person who who you know who is subjected to the rigors of you know birth and growing up and and who knows cutting his finger or falling off ladders or whatever ever else he experienced everything boys do growing up I, I think yeah well on christmas i have talked about the incarnation so yes. let's talk about that for a moment yes okay well fully god fully man uh and, and i don't think that's something that somebody made up in the second century you can look at the scriptures and you can see i and the father are one right uh he's he's clearly they're going to stone him Clearly, the people with him at that time realized that he was making a claim to divinity, uh, and he is clearly, you know, fully a fully human person because he bleeds and he, you know, he dies. And uh, what interests me is uh, is the struggle. The disciples have no problem getting the humanity right. He, he's right here. I mean, we see him eating and falling asleep. He's apparently a pretty sound sleeper, right? Um, <laughs> But the divinity part is their trouble. I think with us, it's the other way around. I think we understand the divinity, maybe because we're so distant from him in terms of years. But it's the humanity, the full humanity that we have trouble with. Yeah, and reconciling the two. Yeah. I had a discussion with a guy the other day. He, he was so into the divinity of Jesus, he said, uh, oh, he'd walk down the streets and a dog wouldn't even bark at him. I said, what, where do you get that from? <laughs> well, you know, I just believe, you know, he could have talked to the animals like Abraham or like <laughs> Dr. Adam. Dr. Doolittle. Talk- yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I go, you know, hey, that's great. Engage with your imagination, but let's, you know. Yeah. I don't know about that. That's one of the questions I have for you on the imagination is where do you draw that boundary line? Well, I think the scripture, you're constrained by the scriptures. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been, you know, in the Sunday school where class, we all kind of get together and pool our ignorance and start. So, well, well I think this. No, I think that. Uh, I think that's, uh, con- I'm constrained by scripture. And so that means, you know, we have to take our, our study of the Bible really seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So as we read the Christmas story here at this very special time of year, let's kind of open our eyes to mm-hmm. those details. Yes. Uh, you've a- helped us with that. Here absolutely. Today. Yeah. And and try to read it fresh. And, and and maybe you're committed to one translation. You know, you know, grit your teeth and get a translation that you're not used to and and maybe hear it hear it uh, in, in a fresh way because it's supposed to be new. It's always new. It's always new. Yeah. Well, to you and Susan, Merry Christmas Thank to your you. whole family. Uh, Grandpa Mike now, so Thank you've got you. an extra special yeah. Christmas yeah, ahead of Christmas you. Christmas is really fun with grandbabies. I you bet. can spoil them and you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Great to talk with you, Mike. And we will be talking throughout the coming year about the Gospels. Let's so do that. I look, look forward, forward to that. that. A lot of history recorded in that studio with Michael Card, centered on the Bible. Now, over the next year, we will revisit him several times in the studio at Molan, focusing each time on one of the four Gospels. Thanks for joining us today here at Christmas. It's always great to get your feedback on what you hear. Please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. You can leave your comments there and learn just a bit more about this program and our guests. Or use our webpage for that purpose, where you can also browse the archive of past interviews and listen right there online. Go to firstpersoninterview.com. This weekly visit is made possible through the Far East Broadcasting Company, which loves to have stories of God working in people's lives told. FEBC has a few stories of their own, and you can learn more about them when you click on the FEBC banner found at firstpersoninterview.com. Now, next week, we'll finish the year talking with a guest who is on the front lines of ministry to Syrian refugees in Lebanon. We'll talk with Camille Melky next week. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Merry Christmas 
Be sure to join us next time for First Person.